I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. And I want to thank all my listeners, like you, for helping spread the word about practical, everyday horsemanship and how to reach your goals. I appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've left, and we love the comments and suggestions, so please keep them coming. Since the last time we recorded, I've been staying quite busy around the barn. I've got several horse training projects going on, and one of them is simply my five-year-old, now five-year-old horse, Pepperoni, and he's an ongoing project. He's actually doing great and is well on his way to becoming more of a finished horse. I hope to get him out on the trails a lot this summer because he seems super inclined to be an extraordinary trail horse as well as a great performance horse. So he's doing well. I've also got the little yearling colt. He's actually just now six months old as I make this recording. And he was a refugee from the wildfires in northern Colorado last fall. He was born on October 1st. The wildfires moved through his home area around the third week of October. So he was evacuated not once but twice when he was just a few weeks old by the side of his mother. He's been living with us since last fall. We've really enjoyed having both his mother, a big giant Clydesdale mare named Joy, as well as her young colt Remington. So Joy is back at her home ranch at the Sea Lazy U. She's getting back in shape to go back to her real job, which is as a riding horse. And Remington, who we have every reason to believe is a purebred Clydesdale, she came off a Clydesdale breeding farm, even though she was a purchase as a riding horse. So we think it was an accidental breeding, but nonetheless, he sure looks like a Clydesdale. He's been a pleasure to have around. I've been recording some halter training, full handling tips with him. So we've been doing 10-minute lessons with Remington once a week or so. And it's been fun to have him around. Everybody just loves this little rascal. Fun to watch a young horse grow up. So he's been keeping us busy. And then recently, we started a brand brand new horse welfare campaign with a rescue mare. She's registered thoroughbred mare by the name of Truth Takes Time. Interesting name. She's 18 years old, absolutely gorgeous mare. She was on the racetrack for several years as a young horse. Then she became a broodmare for a decade. She cranked out five foals, all of them racehorses, one of them winning well over 400,000. So she was successful as a racehorse, successful as a broodmare. And now she's getting ready to start her third career and we hope final career, which will help her find her forever home. That is going to be as a pleasure horse. We took Truth a few weeks ago. She came by way of the Oklahoma City Regional Care Center, where she came into the rescue system, and they identified her as a horse with an excellent future ahead of her, with a horse that had great potential because she's beautiful, she's sound, she's sweet. She just needs a little reconditioning and retraining to get her on the right track to becoming a pleasure horse. We anticipate it's going to take three 
three to four months to get her prepared for adoption, to figure out what her best human is going to look like and what her best future home might be. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that later, but keep in mind that May is Adopt the Horse Month. Every year, thousands of good horses find themselves in transition of careers or ownership. And each year, a growing number of these horses end up at risk of inhumane treatment. Research by the ASPCA indicates there are over 1.2 million homes that have both the perceived resources and the desire to house an at-risk horse. We anticipate it's going to take three to four months to recondition and retrain Truth to get her prepared for adoption. We hope to be searching for her new family by the end of summer. And we're going to be video logging this entire journey. Every Thursday, we're going to come to you with either a Facebook Live post or a pre-recorded video about Truth's journey. I really enjoy getting to know this mare. She's been interesting to work with. She's a classic off-the-track thoroughbred. She's also very classic in a broodmare coming back into training. She's also the reason behind today's topic for the podcast. More about that later. You can join us on Truth's Journey. I'll be posting live or pre-recorded video every Thursday at noon on my Facebook page. Just go to Julie Goodnight Horsemanship. We'll also be posting bonus footage as we have it. So be sure to check that out on Facebook every Thursday at noon Eastern. It's springtime around here and things seem to be gearing up everywhere between the upcoming riding season and a greater percentage of the population becoming vaccinated. It seems like gradually we're getting this pandemic under control and people are ready to get back to doing their horse stuff. I'm hitting the road next week for a clinic at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. It's a women's riding and wholeness retreat that I co-teach along with Barbara Schulte, my friend and colleague from Texas. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also excited to get back to teaching clinics and working hands-on with you and your horses. I'm looking at dates and venues for more public clinics around the country starting this summer and fall. If you're interested in hosting a clinic, please let us know. I'll come to your facility and conduct a clinic for one or more people. Could be just for you and your friends, or it could be open to the public. For more information on organizing a clinic, please go to juliegoodnight.com slash private clinic. I have three riding retreats scheduled at the Sea Lazy U Ranch this fall. I hope you can join me for one of them. In September, we have the popular ranch riding adventures. Then in October, I have two brand new programs. First, it's the Saddle Up Women's Leadership Retreat. This is for business executives and no prior riding experience is necessary. Next, in October, I have the five-day horsemanship immersion program. This is an A to Z intensive program on all aspects of horsemanship. If you're an insatiable learner like me, you'll really enjoy this program. We're going to jump into everything from behavior, health, nutrition, training, riding, and you'll even be able to do some trail riding along the way as well. So all of these programs are, of course, at the Sea Lazy U Ranch, which is renowned for its five spur service. And I've been doing clinics there 
for well over a decade. I do them several times a year, and I always look forward to going back to the Sea Lazy U. So check that out at SeaLazyU.com, or you can certainly go to my website, JulieGoodnight.com, and get more information. And while you're there, please check out my online training programs and video subscriptions at signin.juliegoodnight.com. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, equipment, and educational resources at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's podcast is about repurposing, retraining, or restarting a horse under saddle. We'll talk about what that looks like and why it might be needed. And then I'm going to take a look at it from two different angles. First, from the horse's point of view, why that horse might need a new career, how we go about repurposing a horse or rehoming a horse. And then secondly, we'll take a look at it from the rider's point of view. What about changing disciplines? What about my desire to do something different with my horse? I'll show you how to get started by thoroughly assessing the horse, and then I'll give you my tips for getting a fresh start with a horse or heading in a new direction with your horse. And finally, I'll share with you my philosophy and my methodology when I set out to repurpose, retrain, or restart a horse under saddle. There are any number of reasons why you might need to repurpose or retrain or restart a horse under saddle. So first, let's talk about what that might look like and why it might be needed. Rehoming is one reason why we take a look at retraining or restarting a horse for any number of reasons. For instance, truth takes time. My latest project, she was a racehorse turned broodmare. After a decade of being a broodmare, we are now repurposing her as a pleasure horse so that she becomes desirable to someone looking to adopt a horse. This is important for truth because it will secure her future. If she's a horse that becomes a part of someone's family and they love her and they take care of her and she takes care of them, she will probably end up in her forever home, secure the rest of her life. If we leave her out of shape, unhandled, and without any real purpose, She is at grave risk, minimally, of inhumane treatment and potentially of ending up going uh, on a truck bound for slaughter. So rehoming and repurposing horses so that they have a secure future, to me, is a great thing to be doing. It's a great way that I can help one horse at a time. And once we find a great situation for that horse, I can move on and help another horse. So it's a good way to get horses taken care of. Another reason why people are often thinking about restarting a horse is simply because a horse has become idle for any number of years. I had a great mare that I had most of her life. I got her as a five or six-year-old, and I had her until the day she died of old age. And she did a number of different jobs for me, and including ultimately went on to become a school horse. And as time went on and I no longer needed her as a school horse, she simply became idle. It was nothing intentional on my part. She was in her low 20s by then, and I had many other horses to ride, a lot of younger horses coming along. And the next thing I knew, two or three years had gone by without her actually having been ridden by anyone. She was a great horse, and and horses don't do well when they just waste away and don't get exercise and don't get handled. So we restarted her back under saddle. She was a horse that had been idle for two or three years. 
It's a common scenario. It doesn't have to be a horse that old even. Sometimes horses, through no fault of their own, are just left idle for a, and go a number of years without riding. This is actually no big deal um, to restart those horses. Sure, it'll take a little bit of time and a little bit of patience. They generally advance really quickly. So that would be one example of why you're restarting a horse. Of course, it may have been a horse that just either had no training or poor training, bad experiences. It's otherwise a horse that has a great deal of potential, and it just needs to go back to the beginning and and start all over again in its training. Maybe it's a horse that's just ready for a new career. Let's say it's a team roping horse turned trail horse. He could be a fairly young horse that's just maybe reached his maximum potential as a team roping horse and you had an opportunity to buy that horse, had all the right ingredients of what you wanted. So maybe we're just changing careers on that horse because the rider wants to do something different. Maybe it's a cutter that we're turning into a versatility ranch horse or a reigning horse that's going on to a second career as a pleasure horse, somebody that wants to do Western dressage part-time. Any number of reasons why we might be changing the job of a horse. It may be that the horse has been doing a high intensity sport like team roping or barrel racing, jumping, and the horse has just reached a point where he's burned out on that career. He doesn't perform well anymore. He does not like it anymore. He's not got his heart into it anymore. He just needs a new fresh start in another job. Perhaps we are repurposing a horse that's already had some sort of commercial career. Maybe it's an off-the-track thoroughbred, like in the case of my foster horse, Truth. Maybe it's a mare that came out of a PMU farm where they've been using uh, horses to manufacture pharmaceuticals. Maybe it's a brood mare from a commercial breeding operation or a working ranch horse that is reaching middle age, can't keep up with the demands of ranch work, and is moving on to a pleasure career. Again, horses have a long lifespan, 25 to 30 years, but their careers or their situations with one type of rider don't always last that long. So there are tons of reasons why we might need to retrain or repurpose a horse. Also, we have to think about horses in transition. Did you know a horse changes hands on average seven times during its lifetime? And each time the horse changes hands or changes careers, it is at risk of getting lost in the system. It is at risk of inhumane treatment. It is at risk of inhumane treatment or worse. Also, the number one reason people give up on horses is because there is a failure of the horse to meet the expectations of the owner. In other words, this horse doesn't suit me, so I'm giving up on him. It might have to do with behavioral reasons, performance reasons. It might have to do with a lack of training or imperfect health, but many people just give up on horses if they don't meet their needs. A lot of the work in horse welfare that we do is in repurposing, retraining, and restarting horses that someone else has given up on or lost track of. They've gotten somehow neglected or lost or abandoned. Those are just a few of the reasons why you might be in a position to be retraining or restarting a horse. 
Let's look at this idea from the horse's point of view. Let's be horse-centric for a moment and talk a little bit more about why a horse might need a new career, why we would be repurposing a horse or rehoming him. First of all, giving the horse the skills it needs to be successful will make the horse more marketable. And as I said just a minute ago, more desirable. Whether that means because we're trying to sell the horse or whether that means, like in my case with Truth, we're trying to find a perfect adopting family for the horse, it will make the horse more marketable and more desirable when it has good and appropriate skills. Remember, it's all about meeting the expectations of the owner. Sometimes, many times in my career, I've been asked to retrain performance horses that have gotten burned out in one discipline. It's usually a highly demanding discipline, or it's been put into a discipline it was not well suited to. I I can think in particular of a lovely mare I was asked to retrain that they had tried to make a Western pleasure horse out of her, and she just was not inclined to that one little bit. They trained on her and showed her for a few years until she finally just blew up and refused to do anything. They couldn't get her to even go forward at all, let alone go in and win a horse show. We had to start over from scratch with her, and ultimately, I figured out it it wasn't the sport for her. She just couldn't take it. And we found a more appropriate career for her, and she turned out to be a fabulous horse, actually quite versatile horse. She just wasn't a Western pleasure horse. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I've seen this with roping horses, barrel horses. Sometimes it has to do with physical pain. Often it has to do with physical pain. But some horses over time will get burned out, particularly in terms of high intensity competition. And we need to just start over, find them a new job, give them a new career so that that horse can have a happy future. When we look at repurposing a horse or finding a new career for him, I try to keep in mind what the horse's greatest talents are, because I want to find a career for that horse that allows him to flourish. Horses are incredibly adaptable animals. In fact, that's a huge part of why they survived the ice ages and have have never become in danger of extinction because they're so versatile. They can live in so many climates. They can eat so many different foods. They have a way and a willingness of adapting to the needs of humans, which is a huge part of why they've been an integral part of a human society for 10,000 years or more. It's interesting to think about how adaptable horses are to the needs of humans that even after the invention of the combustion engine rendering horses obsolete, they have still maintained such a prevalent place in our society all over the world. They're incredibly adaptable animals. And so moving from one career to another, from one purpose to another is certainly doable for horses. It's something many, if not most horses are going to go through during their lifespan. And remember, May is Adopt-A-Horse Month. This is a good time to be thinking about the repurposing of a horse, and it's a good time to be looking at the thousands of horses that are in transition and that are ready today for adoption. 
Horses available for adoption come in all shapes, sizes, colors, breeds, and training levels. And in many cases, these horses may be the best horse for you and the most available horse for you. Go to myrighthorse.org and there you can work with partners all over the country and look right at horses that are ready for adoption today. So check that out. And while we're on the subject of repurposing horses, remember that you might be in a position to really give a great home to a horse that's in need. Let's think about changing directions on a horse from the rider's point of view. In other words, this is a rider-centric issue. It is an issue driven by the desires of the rider. I see this every day. A lot of riders today want to be able to do a variety of things with their horse. And I think that's great. They want to be able to trail ride, plus ride a little bit in the arena, maybe go to a schooling show or a clinic every now and then. They'd like to be able to participate in large group trail rides. And who knows, they are often open to new adventures of any shape or form. And so often people that embark in their horse sports in this manner end up changing disciplines a lot, or they start down one path with the horse and then they get interested in something else. And all of a sudden they're doing something totally different with that horse. And so we have to reboot or retrain or reprogram that horse in some way. For many people, it's just about broadening their horizons and learning new things. I know for a lot of people, their riding activities have to do with socializing with other like-minded riders. And so maybe you get hooked up with a group of riders that likes to do long-distance trail riding, or maybe you've gotten hooked into a group of riders that love Western dressage or mounted shooting. You know, for the most part, horse sports are more fun when you do them with other people. And if you are surrounded by a great group of people that do a certain discipline or a certain aspect of horses, often you'll find yourself drawn in that direction. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Cross-training between riding disciplines can be a valuable tool. It's something I did in my career. I didn't really plan that out. It just happened. I grew up in a Western setting. I got attracted to riding hunter jumper. I did that. I rode on the racetrack. I rode in the wilderness. I've done Western performance. I've ultimately been drawn in a lot of different directions in my horsemanship. And I know from my own experience how much I have learned from one discipline to another. So I often recommend, particularly young riders, that you dip your toe in the waters of different disciplines, you will learn different points of view on the same subject. And it can really be helpful to rounding out your horsemanship knowledge and experience. So you might be looking at changing disciplines just to get more knowledge and more experience under your belt. Sometimes people get lured into changing disciplines because it's what everyone does in their area. There are certain areas of the country, for instance, that almost all the horses are English show horses. So if you came in there, moved into that area, maybe you had a foundation quarter horse that was a ranch horse, did cow horse events, there would be like nothing for that horse to do and and no one for you to hang out with. And so you look at switching disciplines because that's what's available in your area in terms of trainers, in terms of barns, in terms of events. When you do think about changing disciplines with a horse, you need to keep in mind that there may be tack changes and bit changes that are required. And certainly the way in which you ride that horse may be different. So you may need an 
instruction yourself. It will probably involve studying the discipline, what type of tack is used, understand the tack, why it's used, how you use it correctly. Also, when you're changing disciplines with a horse, it's important to identify what training does he already have that's going to really help him in this endeavor and where does he have holes that we need to fill? You want to break that down in particular in terms of the holes that need to be filled. You want to break that down skill by skill. Maybe he's a horse that's never had to do an extended trot. So we need to develop an extended trot in the horse, have a cue up to the extended trot, a cue down from the extended trot. Maybe that horse needs to learn to turn on the forehand when all he, he's a rainer and all he knows how to do is turn on the hindquarters. What are the specific skills that your horse is lacking, that he will need to be successful in this new discipline. It's unfair to the horse to just start doing the new discipline without taking the time you need to teach him the small specific skills he's going to need in that discipline. Beware of a horse's suitability when you're changing disciplines. Think about trying to hammer a square peg into a round hole. It's very important that you never ask a horse for more than he's capable of giving you. People ask me all the time, how do I make my horse trust me? Well, that's a really big one. When you demand and expect from your horse something he is incapable of, that really destroys any trust he would have in you. And the opposite is true too. I can push my horse to his limits if I gradually explore what those limits are and if I'm very fair and reasonable about it and I gradually push him there over time. But if I all of the sudden ask him for something that he's not at all capable of giving me, I have really damaged our relationship in many ways. It's like if I had a horse that was a gray horse, he could do trail riding, trail obstacles, this and that, cutting, cow work, but he had never seen an arena full of jumps and I just took him straight in there and asked him to canter over all those jumps. Sure, could he do it? It's possible. Would he feel confident doing? in no way, shape, or form would he. Would he probably hit a couple of fences and knock them down and scare himself? Yeah. And am I the one that's responsible for all of that because I asked him to do something he was not in that moment capable of? Yes. Making sure your horse is suitable. Never asking of a horse something he's not capable of giving you in that moment. Also, keep in mind when it comes to the horse's suitability to a discipline that the type of horse matters. The breed, the body type, the gaits, the age, the soundness, all of these things will relate to the discipline in one way or another. Either it's an advantage or a disadvantage. And it's unfair to a horse to ask him to do a sport he's not really well suited for. If I had a draft horse or a draft cross and what I wanted to do was long distance endurance racing, I would probably need to think about getting a new horse rather than trying to make a draft horse go long distance. It just doesn't make sense. And it would be so miserably hard on the horse, so miserably frustrating for the rider and the horse that it would just be a recipe for disaster. Changing disciplines with the horse on a low level or on an exploration level is fine. At that level, almost any horse could do any discipline. But as we move up the scale in terms of training level and competition level, that's when things start becoming unfair to the horse. So just make sure that your horse has some suitability for the discipline that you're thinking about switching to. 
So whatever reason we are restarting, repurposing, changing the career of a horse, whether it is to benefit the horse because the horse needs a new job, a new home, a new purpose, or it's because the rider has a new goal, has a new endeavor, wants to go in a new direction. Regardless of the reason, what I'm always going to start with is a thorough assessment of the horse's training in order to figure out how we're going to repurpose him. I'm assuming that we've already done a thorough health assessment. We've already done a thorough nutritional plan, supplementation plan for this horse. We've taken care of his farrier needs. We already know that this horse is sound and has potential as a riding horse ahead of him. So the next thing we're going to do is start with a really thorough assessment of the training level of the horse, starting with getting as much history as I can on that horse. Now, there may not be any history available. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations with horses where there is zero history on the horse. Maybe it came into a rescue operation from an unknown source, and we're just completely starting from scratch. Then all I have to go on is looking at the horse, trying to get a feel for his temperament by the way he looks and acts, looking at his breed and body type, sort of speculating where he might have come from. But in most instances, we can get some kind of history on the horse, and that's really important. Whatever history you can get, try to get your hands on it, even if that means doing some investigative work, calling previous owners, going online, researching. Whatever you cannot get get a firm history on, you should try to guesstimate the rest. If you know this horse is nine years old now and you know part of his history, just try to fill in with what you think could have happened in the meantime. Don't get carried away with the drama of it. We're just trying to get an understanding of where this horse is at in his training and in his life experience. By the way, this is one of the earliest assignments in my interactive online coaching program. And you receive assignments to do with your horse. And one of them is to gather as much history as you can on the horse and to piece together year by year, month by month, how much riding and training the horse has actually had over his entire lifespan, whether that horse is nine years old, 20 years old, or two years old, you should try to put together that history. And I ask for people to do their best to calculate exactly how many days this horse may have been ridden every year since he started in training. And if you have just a minimal amount of history on a horse, you can usually put this together and what you can't, you can guesstimate. So if I know this horse belonged to one trainer or one rider from the time he was a three-year-old to a six-year-old, and I knew a little bit about what they did, I can just do my best to estimate, well, they probably did that many trail rides every year or they didn't ride the horse at all for two years because they told me that. I'd like for people to actually add up the number of days the horse has been ridden over his lifetime because this will really bring great perspective to the horse's training. A lot of my students kind of grumble about having to go through all that trouble. And it's unfortunate. And I usually scold them for that because it is really valuable information and it will be very telling about that horse's training level. If you can tell me that information about your horse, I can help you a lot better in coaching you online 
line by having a greater understanding of where this horse is at in his overall life experience and training. So don't disregard the history. It's a little bit of a pain in the neck to jump in and figure out as much information as you can, but it's valuable information to have on a horse. Look, we can't criticize a horse for what he knows or he doesn't know. Even if it's a spoiled horse or an ill-mannered horse, somebody's responsible for how that horse behaves. He didn't make up that behavior or he's just never been properly handled, so he's never learned the right way to act. I'm not ever concerned when a horse is spoiled or ill-mannered or very skittish because this just identifies places that we need to work on. You know, a horse has to learn how to act and how to respond. Either he has no information there and has never been trained or he's learned the wrong things. And in either case, we can make it better. Unfortunately, however, you cannot unlearn things. Humans can't do it and horses cannot do it. So once a horse has learned a really bad behavior, I shouldn't call it bad, I should call it undesirable. In his mind, it's not bad. Behavior is behavior. It shouldn't really have a judgment on it. But there are certain behaviors of horses that are highly undesirable and or dangerous to people. If a horse has benefited from undesirable behavior and over time he's gotten away with it and benefited a lot, these things can be very difficult to retrain because you cannot unlearn. And let me give you an example of that. It is rare for horses to learn that they outweigh you and can get away from you at any moment that they wish to. Most horses never learn this, but some clever horses sometimes through no fault of their own, it just was an accident that happened, will learn that if they jerk their head a certain way and turn their body in a certain position, that they can overpower you and get away from you whenever they want. Once a horse has learned to throw his body weight around, once a horse has learned to identify when the person is prime for taking advantage of, you can't unlearn that information to the horse. So that horse will forever know that he can get away whenever he doesn't want to do something or go somewhere. This is something you cannot unlearn. I can reprogram that horse. I can train around that horse. I can teach it new handling skills that will help prevent that from ever happening again. And I can create awareness in the people that handle that horse, how they should deal with it in such a way that avoids that problem. But I can never erase from that horse's memory the technique that he uses to get away with that. There are some things that horses learn that are undesirable and unsafe, and we cannot unlearn them. If the horse benefits from that kind of behavior, he is likely to do it again. The more times he benefits, the more often he will do it. Keep that in mind. This is a case when it's important to think about replacement training. So that is replacing one behavior with another. So if every time my horse thinks about doing one thing, I make him do something else, pretty soon, as soon as he thinks about doing that one thing, he's thinking about doing something else. And so in his mind, I've actually replaced one behavior with the other. In the case of the horse that has learned to use his body weight to get away from you, I require that horse to keep his neck bent and angled so that his nose is towards me because in order for him to get away from me, he has to turn his nose away from me. If every time that horse starts to turn his nose away from me, I jerk the rope 
really hard and I make him turn his nose towards me, that's an example of replacement training where he thinks about doing one thing and then he does another that is counteractive to the first behavior. It's also important in the assessment stage to evaluate the horse's temperament. Now, this is something you're going to learn more about over time. The more situations you get the horse in, the more different ways that you handle him, and just the more comfortable you get around that horse, the greater understanding you're going to have of its natural temperament. Now, if you've got a lot of experience with horses, you can get a general sense for a horse's temperament by just simply looking at them, their conformation, in particular, the way their head is structured. If you have enough background and experience in history with horses, you can definitely gauge a horse's temperament somewhat by its appearance. But until you actually handle that horse, work with him, touch him, manipulate him, ask him to do hard stuff, ask him to do easy stuff, until you go through all that with him, you're not going to have a real full understanding of his temperament. But from the first minute of interacting with that horse, I'm trying to get a feel for his temperament. Is he brave? Is he fearful? What's his willingness level? Is he eager to please? Is he friendly to people or kind of aloof and standoffish? Is he learning at such a rapid pace that I can hardly keep up with what he's learning? Or is he a little bit on the duller side, hard to keep his attention? Is he a dominant horse, a bossy horse, a pushy horse? Or is he more skittish, unsure of himself? And also, I want to get an understanding of what his sensitivity level is. Is he sensitive to touch? Is he sensitive to everything? In other words, he's a hot-blooded horse. He's sensitive to all environmental stimuli. These are things that you're going to get to know about a horse over time, but they will definitely weigh into repurposing or retraining a horse, trying to get an understanding of how well he's going to do in his new career. When it comes to actually assessing training, obviously I'm going to start with basic ground manners. In fact, I'm going to start with the basic ground manners that all horses should have in order to be successful. So we're going to kind of go through the old checklist and we're going to spend a few days doing a lot of different stuff with the horse so we understand how well he leads. Does he tie? Does he clip? Does he bathe? Will he stand for the farrier? Does he load and unload from a trailer well? Ride in the trailer well? Is he easy to catch? Can I touch him all over? Can I sort of poke and prod wherever I need to? All parts of his body. At any place I find a gap in his training, my number one priority is always to fill the ground manners gaps because a horse that is not safe and is not pleasant to handle may not have a successful future. And it is really, really significant in the horse's potential success that he is safe to be around and pleasant to handle. So these are underlying fundamentals that no matter what, no matter how great he is at riding, if he's not successful and really experienced in all of those things, we're going to fill those holes in right away. When it comes to assessing that horse's training under saddle, there are certain things that I'm looking for that are, I would say, just the basic bones you need for a good riding horse. I want to know, does that horse move freely forward when he's asked? Does it stop when it's asked and not before it's asked? Does it ever challenge the rider for direction or speed? Is the horse generally in an obedient and willing frame of mind? The basic fundamentals of training is, does this horse 
stop, start, and steer. If we've got those basic bones in place, you could go almost any direction with a horse. Red flags, of course, would be if there's any biting or kicking, bucking, spooking, rearing, bolting, a horse that refuses to do something like go forward when you ask or go through a gate or get in a trailer, throws a fit over you asking it to do something it doesn't want to do. These are all red flags and signs that the horse is going to need some remedial training. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a huge problem. It's just something we're going to have to get to the bottom of and resolve before you move forward. I mean, nobody really wants to ride a horse that tries to kick you or bite you or that, you know, rears whenever you ask it to do something. That's, you know, what we might call remedial training. And oftentimes a horse that's being repurposed is going to have some issues there. Truth takes time. The horse I'm working with now, she's been a broodmare for a decade and she's had five babies. And so that's involves a lot of poking and prodding and palpating and twitching and put in stocks and put in breeding hobbles. And she is very, very defensive about having her hind end touched, hind legs, the flank, the rump, the tail, anything. She gets defensive, swishes her tail, kicks. This is nothing wrong with the horse. It's just the circumstance that she's in. So we take a little bit of extra time to desensitize her, to reprogram her thinking about that, to show her she can trust us not to hurt her. And it'll be time well spent, and then that'll no longer be a problem. So just because you encounter some red flags that may indicate the horse needs some remedial training, don't blame the horse. First of all, the horse is only a product of its environment. And keep in mind that this stuff can be highly fixable. It's not always highly fixable, but it certainly can be. So don't let that slow you down. And by the way, don't prejudge horses and label horses. Horses come into bad circumstances. And keep in mind that if a horse has had some kind of performance problem that resulted in it not doing its job successfully or very well and the owner being unhappy with it, keep in mind that chances are really good that the rider was at fault and not the horse. In fact, we can almost guarantee that the rider or the trainer was at fault and not the horse. So don't prejudge the horse just because he's had bad experiences in the past. And don't label horses as a bucker or a runaway. I knew someone that had adopted a super, super nice horse, but this horse had a big motor. She was a very forward horse. She was well-trained. She was beautiful. She was a nice horse, but she was maybe a little bit too much horse for this rider. And one day riding out in the field. She was trotting the horse. And as she turned back towards the barn, the horse stepped into a canter and the rider freaked out and jumped off the horse. And then she started telling everybody that the horse ran away with her. Well, that's not at all what happened. The horse just stepped into a canter and it scared the rider and the rider jumped off. To label that horse a runaway, that's a label that could follow that horse forever and could ultimately end up in that horse being stigmatized, prejudged, sent down the road and ending up at risk. I I hate to hear people label horses. I think that it is important for us all to keep in mind that almost all riding horse problems are rider induced. The horse didn't create the problem. So let's make sure we give the horse a fair shake if he's got a little bit of a sketchy history. 
In the assessment phase of retraining, repurposing a horse, maybe this has more to do with getting the history on the horse, but I really want to try to determine how much seasoning this horse has, how much life experience this horse has. Has he been hauled around and required to perform in different locations? Has he been on a bunch of different group trail rides with dozens or hundreds of horses? Has he been to a bunch of horse shows or rodeos? How does he travel? How does he trailer? What does he do when you bring him into a brand new arena he's never seen before? What does he do when you brought him to this new barn for the first time? How does he handle himself in new situations and in unknown environments? Some horses are better at this than others naturally naturally because they have good temperaments. But most horses get that way from having had a lot of life experiences, what we call seasoning. And the more seasoning a horse has, the more suitable he is for almost any discipline. A horse could be, in other words, very well-trained, push-button horse. But if he's only ever been ridden at this one facility in this one arena or the little trails right around the barn, and he's never even gotten in a trailer and gone anywhere, it doesn't matter how well-trained he is at performing at home in that location. Horses are incredibly location-specific in their performance and their training and what they know and and the way they think. And it takes time and determination to get a lot of experience and seasoning on a horse. So if I've got a horse that's already got that under his belt, That is a huge accomplishment in that horse's training. Maybe I bought a team roping horse, but what I want to do is mounted shooting. All I've got to do now is get him accustomed to the gunfire and how that pattern is ridden because he already understands everything else about traveling to horse shows and being around other horses and being in strange arenas and riding patterns. Finally, in my assessment phase of this horse that I'm going to retrain or repurpose, I want to definitely take a look at the horse's breed and type. Now, even if you're not dealing with a purebred horse, he is certainly descendant of some sort of purebred horses. Many different breeds and types of horses have developed over the thousands of years they've been domesticated. Horses developed and evolved simultaneously all over the world. The way that horses evolved and the way that breeds develop was definitely influenced by the environment the horses were in and their usage. For instance, one of the two main types of horses that we think about are the light horse and the heavy horse. And the heavy horses are, of course, the draft horses. And they don't have to be big, tall horses because we can have draft ponies as well. But they're heavy bone, heavy fleshed, big footed, big headed horses. And that type of horse evolved in the cold climates in the world. And then the light horses, such as the Arabians, develop in the hotter climates of the world. So those horses evolved in such a way that they were able to deal with hot climates better. Whether that horse is light or heavy, whether he's hot-blooded or cold-blooded, and remember, a hot-blooded horse, the definition of that is a horse that's highly sensitive to environmental stimuli, and a cold-blooded horse is a horse that's highly insensitive to environmental stimuli. That's all stimuli. 
So whether that horse is light or heavy or hot-blooded or cold-blooded, these things will definitely factor into my training plan for the horse. Whether the horse is gated or non-gated, these might have a bearing on what types of disciplines he is suited for. Remember that there's really no such thing as a wild horse anymore. Those genetics do not exist. Every horse on the planet is actually descendant of domesticated horses. So when we think about the American Mustang, it's actually a feral horse, not a purebred of any kind. But the American Mustang was heavily influenced by the Baroque horses coming from Spain and coming from South America. But they were also heavily influenced by the thoroughbreds and the Morgans and the saddlebred of the U.S. cavalry. These horses can have some super interesting genetics behind them. But all of these things will will have a bearing. The horse's conformation, his physical structure, his way of going, his carriage. Is he upright? Is he a level horse? Is he an uphill horse, a downhill horse? All of these things will have a bearing on what type of career he's going to be best at. Keep in mind that even when you're dealing with a horse that you have no history on, but it could be a horse that you have 100% history on, it's a purebred registered horse, it's still really fascinating to get DNA testing done on the horse. It will tell you about the horse's genetic heritage, its breeding, its color genetics. You can learn about the horse's health tendencies, his proclivity to certain diseases. It can tell you about behavioral aspects of the horse and other conditions that can be really enlightening. So genetic testing is not only fun to get done on your horse, it's inexpensive, but it's also very enlightening and would have some valuable information in terms of this assessment phase of the horse and trying to figure out what's going to be a new good career for this horse. I use a company called Etalon Diagnostics, E-T-A-L-O-N, Etalon Diagnostics, and they have some great packages. I think it's, I don't know, it's under $100 to get the basic genetics package done, and it's quick, it's easy, and it's very, very enlightening. So armed with all of that information that I've compiled, it's probably taken me a few weeks to to really get a feel for this horse, to really assess its training on the ground, under saddle, to try to gather as much history as I can, to try to get a good feeling for this horse's temperament, what he's going to be best suited to. And at some point in the in the game, I'm ready to get started on this horse. And so I just want to talk to you about a few things I would think about in terms of looking at this philosophically, what I'm going to do with this horse, but also some specific methodology of what I would do. Of course, the assessment of the horse's ground manners and under saddle training that I just talked about is going to entirely dictate what my training course of action is. I can't really get into details there because every horse would be a individual case-by-case training plan. But I will tell you this, we're going to start always with the most basic fundamental skills, the most simplistic skills, And we're going to move slowly and gradually towards more advanced and complex skills. Never do I want to just jump right in on a horse and start doing the hardest stuff with him. I want to always set that horse up for success. I want each encounter I have with the horse to be a positive one and to end with the horse feeling successful. Setting that horse up for success is definitely going to entail starting with the simple, most fundamental stuff that we can ask the horse to do.
When I choose a new career for a horse, I like to base it on what the horse will be best at, not what the rider wants. Granted, I'm a horse trainer and I'm approaching it from the training of the horse and not from the needs of the rider. But when I am working with rescue horses, I prefer to think of finding the perfect human for the horse rather than finding the perfect horse for the human. I'm always looking at what this horse would really shine at. And then I try to imagine the scenario or the owner that would allow him to do that, which he is best at. I kind of look at it from a different point of view there. Again, I want to focus on the fundamentals of training because a horse that is properly trained with solid fundamentals with what I would call a classical progression in its training, that horse will become successful in almost any discipline that you take it to. One time I sold a horse to some people on the East Coast, and this horse was a super nice Cadillac of a horse. He was a push-button rainer. He had been shown and been highly successful as a non-pro rainer, but he was huge. He was much too big to be a really high level rainer. I was able to acquire the horse because of that at a reasonable price. And I immediately understood what an awesome horse he was. He was beautiful. He had an incredible temperament. He had all of this training and all of this experience. And I ended up selling him to someone on the East Coast and they promptly turned him into a hunter jumper. And do you know that horse hardly missed a step? They spent a month or two doing basic jumping training, cavalettis, ground poles, slow jumps. But because that horse was so well trained and had such solid fundamentals of training underneath him, to just add that component of teaching him to go over jumps and shorten and lengthen his strides and take off points, that was actually pretty easy for this horse. And he went on to be very successful in a second career as a children's hunter. It's interesting that no matter how specialized a horse is, if that horse has a solid foundation of classical training under saddle, he can be successful in almost anything that you ask him to do. Let's talk for a minute about restarting a horse under saddle. Maybe it was an idle horse that hasn't been ridden in years, but it's had some training in the past. You have reason to believe in the past this horse was ridden. One of my favorite episodes of Horse Master, in fact, was a horse that had not been ridden in four or five years. The same lady owned the horse. She just, through life circumstances, had not ridden in that long, and she wanted to get the horse going again, but she was afraid to get on it because it hadn't been ridden in so long. It was a great episode, and by the way, all of those episodes, 260 episodes of Horse Master plus hundreds of other videos are available on demand on my website at signin.juliegoodnight.com, and it's all searchable content, so you can search you know, restarting under saddle or hasn't been ridden in a long time or bucking or rearing or whatever. And you will get videos that pertain to that. So that's a great resource from you. But this horse went right back to riding as if she had never missed a beat. And that's oftentimes going to be what happens. If a horse was trained to a certain level previously in its life, and for whatever reason, the horse has not been ridden for a year or more, three, four, five years, doesn't matter. The horse is still exactly as well-trained as it was before the layoff because, again, you don't unlearn training. The horse may be rusty and the horse may take a little bit of time 
to get back in the groove of being ridden and to go, oh yeah, that's how we do that. Oh, oh, okay. That's just the saddle. No big deal. You will want to approach this horse systematically starting from the very beginning beyond the ground manners with putting the saddle pad on the horse, putting the saddle on the horse, fastening the girth. What does he do with the bridle? Does he laterally flex? What happens when I put my foot in the stirrup? What happens when I bounce? What happens when I sit on his back? So we're going to take all of those steps very slowly and very systematically so that it gives the horse time to refresh his memory. Oh yeah, okay, I remember this. So we don't expect to just jump on that horse and start performing at the same level he did three or four years ago when he was laid off. But he has not become untrained during that period of time, and that's important for you to remember. So go about the restart as if the horse is perfectly well-trained, but we want to remind him of every little nook and cranny of this process. So take it slowly and systematically. So I'm going to start just with tacking the horse up. I might take him to the round pin, run him around the round pin in the saddle a little bit, see if he's going to hump up to the saddle or if he acts like the stirrups flapping on his side is no big deal. I'll do the same thing about mounting. And then when I start riding that horse for the first time in a smaller confined area, just in case, I just want to check, does he go when I ask him to go? Does he stop when I ask him to stop? Does he turn right? Does he turn left? And if that's the case, then we're just going to spend quite a bit of time, maybe depending on the circumstance of the horse and how well he's doing, I might spend a week or two or three or four just doing that basic stuff so we get back to the groove of where that horse was whenever he was laid off. At any place you meet resistance along the way, you must stay in that place until it's fixed. Let's say I'm restarting a horse that hasn't been saddled or ridden in a number of years. You know, I've messed with him on the ground. Everything's fine. A time and groom him, pick up his feet. No problem. I put the saddle pad on. He doesn't even look at it. I throw the saddle up there. He doesn't look at it. Tighten the cinch. No problem. I take him out of the round pen. He goes around just fine. Doesn't act like he even notices the saddle. I go through the same process with the bridle and I get the same result. But when I go to step my foot in the stirrup and get on that horse and maybe my toe gooses him in his girth area and he jumps sideways and blows up. Okay. I have now reached a point of resistance. And so I am not going to go farther with that horse until I work through that one little problem. I know this to be a trained horse. This shouldn't have been part of the problem. Let's just go ahead and resolve this issue before we move on to getting on this horse and riding it. So I might spend a little extra time desensitizing. I might spend a little extra time getting on, off, on, off, on, off until the horse is really back in his groove for on that one little area that he showed resistance. So at any point along the way, I meet resistance. I'm going to stay at that place, desensitize, work through it until the horse is just right, and then we move on to the next thing. It's always important in any training program, but especially in a retraining or restarting or repurposing program, to make sure you give the horse time. Horses thrive with consistency over time. It takes at least three months to see significant changes in a horse's condition and training level. A lot of training problems and relationship problems that I see people that have with horses are a result of simply pushing the horse too hard, too fast. If you've been around horses for any length of time at all, you've probably heard the saying that slower is faster with horses. When you give the horses time to absorb stuff, to think things through, to get into a routine, 
to learn enough that they know what's coming next, that is when you start seeing big changes in a horse's behavior and in a horse's performance. Rushing a horse and getting greedy is the absolute enemy of good horsemanship and good training. And the final thought I will leave you with in terms of the philosophy and the methodology that you want to use in retraining or restarting a horse is I would really like for all riders to have an appreciation for the power of the release. Whatever you are doing with a horse at the moment you release the pressure is what you just trained him to do. Many, if not most, training problems are caused by not releasing at the right moment and or releasing the horse at the absolute wrong moment. So the horse throws his head in the air and you release the pressure. You just train him to throw his head in the air. The horse backs up and blows up at something you asked him to do and you release him from whatever it was you were asking. You just train him to back up and blow up. You approach the horse trailer with a horse. He throws a little fit. So you take him away from the trailer. You just train him to throw a fit and not get in the trailer. When the horse does what you ask him to do under saddle and he does not instantaneously get some release of pressure, he does not have any way of knowing what he's doing is the right thing. Horses are extremely fast learning animals and horses are always looking for the release of pressure. They're always looking for a cessation of pressure. When that release comes at the optimal moment, the horse learns really, really fast. When it does not come or the pressure comes at the wrong moment when the horse is doing something you don't want him to do, the horse also learns the wrong thing really fast. So this is one reason why it takes an experienced rider to be a successful horse trainer because knowing and recognizing and executing that perfect moment of release is challenging because we're talking about within a half a second of the horse's compliance or the horse's performance or the horse's response. And that can be difficult to do. A split second in timing can make the difference of whether a horse learns a new skill on the very first attempt or struggles with that skill for weeks. Think about that more. Think about what the release of pressure entails for that horse in that moment. Think about what the optimal response that you want is. And one thing that is really, really easy that anyone, anyone can do is always make sure you end every training session with your horse on a positive note where the horse is giving the correct response and the horse is showing effort and the horse is showing eagerness to please. I always make an extra special effort to get that kind of response from my horse on one thing before I put him away. So I always put my horses away on a note where he has done something really well and I have praised him and he has shown me a really willing and eager to please attitude. When you end on that kind of note with a horse, he always comes back the next day with that kind of attitude. If you end a training session, session with the horse in frustration or anger or resentment or an undesirable behavior, that is what you're going to get with the horse the next time you work with him. It sounds simple. It sounds contrite, but it's really, really true. So even if I had a less than productive training session with the horse, 
I would find a way to end that training session on a very positive note, even if that meant going back to something really, really simple and really basic with that horse. I still want to end it on a note where the horse is trying and I am praising the horse. Keep those things in mind as you work with repurposing and restarting your horse. There's lots of good information out there when it comes to specific skills that you need to retrain a horse when you're changing disciplines or giving it a new career. Getting that kind of specific training and specific help, whether it be from attending clinics or online training programs like mine, or from a local instructor or trainer, a little help along the way is going to help you with specific skills. But these philosophies and these methodologies, I think, will get you on the right path to restarting, repurposing, rehoming, or retraining a horse. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? Q&A. We pick a few unique questions from our listeners each month and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Our first question comes all the way from Sweden through Facebook Messenger, and it's from Bjorn Ekfeldt. And Bjorn says, I come across many horses that suffer from traumatic experiences from trailer loading, going back, panicking, and breaking out of the trailer. Can you share your thinking about this and the rehabilitation of such horses, like how to get their trust back and so forth? Thank you. Well, Bjorn, as long as there have been horse trailers and trailering, there have been <laughs> horses that have suffered traumatic experiences or just have uh, an innate fear of horse trailers. Now, I can't talk about this without thinking about one of my favorite jokes, which is there was a, a email that went around decades ago when email first started about definitions as written by the horse. And according to the horse the owner is the human assigned to feeding me. The rider is an owner who has overstepped his bounds. The trainer is a rider with connections to the mafia. The farrier is a person upon whom I can act out all of my frustrations without compromising food supply. And, and this is for you, Bjorn, the horse trailer is a mobile cave bear den. And so what this refers to is the horse's natural claustrophobia. Horses being flight animals are not super happy about being tightly confined. So their number one means of defense is taken away from them in confinement. Now, you could actually say that all of their means of defense are taken away from them because while a horse will always choose flight to get away from danger or trouble, when a horse is, is cornered and, and flight is not an option, he's also very well equipped to fight. But when we excessively confine him like he is in a horse trailer, he can't even do, he can't even fight. So he has no means with which to defend himself. And so horses can be and often are naturally very claustrophobic. 
And it's something I always want to gauge about a horse when I'm checking out a new horse or a young horse. In fact, getting back to the assessment I talked about earlier in the podcast, it would be something I would routinely check in a horse as I was getting to know him. I would walk him through narrow gates. I would walk in between two trees. If that kind of uh, confinement makes him nervous, makes him want to not go through or run through, that tells me he's a horse that's naturally claustrophobic. Now, as you pointed out, horses could also have had bad experiences in the horse trailer, and they could have been terribly frightened or even hurt, so they would carry that kind of baggage and associate it with the trailer. You cannot undo that. If a horse has some reason to have a fear memory that involves a horse trailer, you cannot erase fear memories. You can train around them. We can retrain a horse to get in a trailer anyway, but we cannot erase the fear from his mind. So that horse will forever have some anxiety about the trailer, but we can train the horse to deal with all of that. So I want to know if the horse is naturally claustrophobic. And if he is, before I start working on his trailering problem, trailer loading or riding in the trailer, I'm just going to work on his claustrophobia in stalls, through gates, lead him through trees, uh, get him in stocks, get him uh, up next to solid walls. In place, he just needs to get used to having that kind of confinement and having things close in around him. Now, trailer loading is a different subject from riding in the trailer, and I think they have to be uh, approached differently and with different training techniques. And obviously, if a horse is nervous about getting in, uh, about being in the trailer, that's one problem. But if we can't even get him in the trailer, we don't even know if he's nervous in there. So I'm going to set aside trailer loading and tell you that I do have a, a excellent training video on all matters of trailering, uh, loading, unloading, riding, driving, and when it comes to trailer loading, there's a lot of help on my website about the specific techniques I would use. Um, my techniques are a little bit different than the average um, natural horsemanship trainer. Um, and there are techniques I've developed for specific reasons because <laughs> they prevent a horse from backing out of the trailer. So at the same time I'm training him to load into the trailer, I'm also training him to never fly backwards out of the trailer because that can be very problematic. So when it comes to just anxiety and claustrophobia inside the trailer, I'm a big believer. And once I've trained that horse to load properly and easily, I want to load him in the trailer twice a day, every day for his breakfast and dinner. So he's going to, you know, start, I'm going to start small. If, if it's a horse that has a huge amount of anxiety in the trailer, I would start small. I would just put the horse in there twice a day to eat a little tiny serving of grain, the most delectable grain the horse likes. As the horse, as soon as the horse started showing me it was eager to get in that trailer and eat the grain, I would start putting some very delectable hay in there, let the horse stand in there a little bit longer, eat some hay and grain. And I want to gradually work up to the horse staying in there like an hour or more because he's got a lot of really great food in front of him. So feeding that horse twice a day in the trailer for a week or two is going to make a huge difference in the way the horse thinks about the trailer. 
So it's an old school technique, but it really, really works. So focus on loading in the trailer and unloading in the trailer as separate training issues, getting comfortable being in the trailer and riding in the trailer is yet another issue. And the best way to tackle that is by letting the horse spend quality time in the trailer without going anywhere. Make sure your trailer is hooked up to a tow vehicle. Don't ever put a horse in a trailer that isn't hooked up. And also make sure the horse is comfortable in there, has good ventilation, not too hot, not too cold, etc. Our second question comes from Claire Chapel. I answered one of Claire's questions last month and she couldn't get enough. So she has another question submitted this month. Claire says, I have a quarter horse who is spooking at one end of the arena where we took a big tree down. It's laying outside the arena in big pieces, creating some interesting shadows and things right next to the woods. He hates it. He doesn't want to go near that end of the arena. He does okay when I walk him down there on a lead rope and let him investigate, but it doesn't seem to have helped. When I ride him near there, he wants to just cut that into the arena and avoid it at all costs. I've tried to just look past it and pretend there's nothing there to even concern him, but nothing really works. How do I get him over this? We will remove it at some point, but I think it's something that would be good for him to conquer if possible. Any ideas? Absolutely, Claire. And yeah, this would be really good for you to conquer with your horse. This smacks of a horse that is using an excuse to get what he wants. Now, let me back up and say that when a horse is ridden in the same area every day for weeks and months on end, he comes to know that area really well. And when something in that area inexplicably changes, like someone puts a banner up or takes a banner down or a tree falls down or there's a new trash can or whatever, something inexplicably changes in an environment that the horse knows really, really well, it can freak the horse out. Happens all the time. It's, a, it's an interesting aspect of horse behavior. However, I believe that what has happened now with your horse is now he's just using that as an excuse because you thought it was legitimate and understandable that he cut that arena of the corner off because the tree had been cut down. That set a precedent with the horse that now makes him think he can cut the arena off if it's just something he doesn't like to do. It's probably the farthest corner of your arena, so it's a corner he wants to cut off anyway. He wants to be closer to the barn. So I think this horse is actually just getting away with stuff with you. And unfortunately, he's taken a stand here And you're saying, I want you to go down to the end of the arena. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to. So you have a horse that's being disobedient and taking control. And so it is really important that you conquer this because your horse's behavior will continue to deteriorate if he thinks he gets to make decisions like that. So look, you know this arena is safe. The horse knows it to be safe. The horse has shown you he'll walk up to it when you're on the ground and leading him. This is just a game your horse is playing. So what would I do? That horse, I would 
I would have probably on the very first time I took him down a train horse in an arena he was used to, I would say, look, I get it that that tree is down and that startles you, but let's look at it and let's get over it right now because this is an arena. You know how to act in an arena and this is a safe place for you to be. And not only that, but you have to listen to me. So I would walk that horse towards that end of the arena. And at the first instant, he tried to turn away from that thing he was trying to avoid, I would turn him towards it. If he was veering to the left to get away from the tree, I would turn him to the right. But before I got to where I was actually turning away from the tree, I would turn him again to the left and then to the right and then to the left so that I was zigzagging towards the tree, always turning towards the tree and never away from the tree. And every time the horse starts this avoidance behavior, you just start turning him towards the tree and go right, left, right, left, right, left in very small, sharp turns, never allowing him to move away from the tree. But with every turn, you're getting closer to the tree. And then, and I would just say, get over it and now go on. And then I would go around the arena again. And if he tried to veer away, I would do the same zigzagging, right, left, right, left, right, left. I might add a little more pressure, scold him, boot him a little bit around the turns. I might let him finally rest when he gets down there near the tree. Um, but I think you just need to confront this issue. This is how disobedience grows in horses. It starts with something seemingly innocent, and then the rider never reclaims complete control of the horse. And so the horse starts taking more and more control over the rider. So that would be a good thing to nip in the bud. And I think if you'll just listen to that instruction again, get it in your mind very carefully. People get confused over which is the correct way to turn and when they turn. Um, but just remember, you want the horse to always be moving towards the object and never away from it. Our final question comes from Kristen Martin from Facebook Messenger. And she says, hi, Julie. I appreciate the way you break skills down into pieces. I was wondering if you could spend some time on your podcast talking about how to use a curb bit on a stock horse. I have always ridden in a snaffle, but recently got a new horse who is trained as a cutter and uses a curb bit. I don't have a clue about what I'm doing. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you asked. And I will not go into a huge amount of detail here because this could be a really great subject for an entire podcast to talk about bits and, and how you ride them. But I often uh, switch riders from a snaffle to a curb bit, particularly in Western horses, because many Western horses will do better in a mild curb bit than in a snaffle. So it's a direction we're often going. And I will tell you, Kristen, there's, there's just a couple of main things I tell people. First of all, keep in mind that the curb bit does have leverage, so the feel of that bit is going to be quite different. So the same amount of pull you might have used on the snaffle to turn or stop is going to be significantly more pressure in the curb bit. So make sure you feel that out. So err on the side of less pressure until you really get a feel for how the horse is going to respond. And the second thing is to keep in mind that for the Western horse in a curb bit, this is the finished bit of the Western horse. We only keep, you know, young green horses in the snaffle bit because we move to the curb bit for several different reasons. 
one of which is that we wish to ride one-handed, and one of which is that it's really important for the Western performance horse to work on off their hindquarters. And the curb bit allows you to lift the shoulders of the horse, and in lifting the shoulders, um, that's what causes a horse to get his hindquarters up underneath him. So, so much of what we do with the Western performance horse involves him lifting his forehand and getting uh, back on his haunches. And so the curb bit is more productive in that way. But the Western horse, and this is, this is the hardest part about transitioning from a snaffle to a curb, is that many riders are used to holding direct contact on two reins on the snaffle bit. Direct contact on two reins on the curb bit is going to really bother your horse. He will not move forward. He may start backing up. So we teach the Western horse to come off the contact of the bit. So when I pick up on the reins, I want that horse to break at the pole, bring his chin in, and I want him to release the pressure in the reins. What I find in transitioning riders from the snaffle to the curb bit is they're so used to hanging on to contact that when the horse gives to the pressure, you take the slack away. And so you can't do that in a curb bit. When he gives to pressure, you have to allow him to put slack in the reins. So as he breaks at the pole and brings his chin in towards your hand, don't take your hand away. Don't take the slack out of the rein. Allow the horse to put slack into the rein as he comes into the frame you want. And that way we teach the horse self-carriage and we teach the horse to uh, maintain a loose rein. So horses want to do that. They like doing that. It's the fault of the rider that generally causes problems here. And the fault generally comes from having been used to hanging on to direct contact in the snaffle. And now when you go to the curb bit, you're going to have to not hold direct contact, allow there to be just a slight amount of slack in the rein. And when you ask for the horse to frame up or come into your hand, allow him to put slack in the rein. Don't just keep pulling back on the rein. Teach the horse to seek out the slack in the rein. These are the things that I see people have the biggest trouble with. There's lots and lots of information on my website about bits and bidding. And even on the free side of the website, you can search these kinds of things and get a lot of helpful information about transitioning from a snaffle to a curb bit. On the paid subscription side of our website, you'll find all kinds of tutorials and videos and bidding information um, that can help you with this transition. So good luck to you, Kristen. Thank you for joining me today. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, I'll tackle another horse training topic that you've been asking for. So please join me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and your questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have a question for What the Hay or a podcast topic you'd like to suggest, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. 
Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all searchable content, or enroll in a horsemanship short course to tackle specific issues like building confidence or controlling the canter. Or you can join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to signin.juliegoodnight.com and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.